0: Welcome to the Redeemer podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 after Psalms and Proverbs the Round Song of Solomon and Isaiah to the left of that. And if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. There should be a black hardcover Bible around you somewhere, or you can go to esv.org on your device. It's a translation that we, that we preach from. And last week, we began our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we talked about last week how we're kind of boarding Solomon's uh, tour bus, and he's going to take us on a tour through life under the sun and show us what is of value and what is of no value. And it really has no lasting meaning. And last week was kind of his brochure where he was walking, and we're going to talk about this. We're going to go through this, kind of a survey of where he wanted to take us. And then today, the first stop on his tour bus is not all of life, but he's going to take us through his life. And take us through kind of his estate and through all the things that he's accomplished and all the things that he's been able to do. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. And since this is the very word of God, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of Christ. Even though it's in the Old Testament, this is the authority of King Jesus. And beginning in verse 1, the Spirit says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. As we said, it's vapor, mist, fleeting. I said of laughter, it is mad. mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem." I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and had many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, vapor, mist, and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done." And I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool? Well, it will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity." For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also was vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also was vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving a heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity, vapor, steam, mist. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, would you help us by the spirit of the risen Christ to not chase after the wind? to set our hearts now on your word and on your wisdom and on your knowledge and on your joy. Help us now, Father, to see what life is to be under the sun, where we can find something that is more than vapor, more than mist, more than steam. Do what you will do now, Lord, with us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. You may be seated. What we just read is really Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher of this book, is he is going CSI on life under the sun. He's seen a lot, he's done a lot, and he's a lot wiser than any man who's ever walked on the earth and is still buried in the earth. And he's decided to really conduct this kind of social science experiment, and he's the gerbil. He's going through life, he's the lab rat, and he's tested everything under the sun to the utmost degree, and he's taking notes as he's journeying. And what's the first stop in the tour through the estate of Solomon? Where is he taking us? To the pursuit of pleasure. He just says, let's think about pleasure and its pursuit in this life under the sun. That's verse 1. Verse 1, he says, I said in my heart, so he's having this experiment with himself, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. What He already gives us the conclusion of his experiment. Look what he says. But behold, this also is vanity. Now, we said that Hebrew word is havel. It has that breathy fleeting, breath, vapor. It's gone. This pursuit of pleasure, this really is a driving force behind all that we do in life. From the car that you drive, you pick that car because of some kind of pleasure, either because you like the way it looks or because it was really cheap, so that brought you pleasure. Or because it's just a utility car, gets the work done that I need, so that brings you pleasure. Or because it has a nice little trim inside on the seat, so that brings you pleasure. The clothes you're wearing, I I like the way I look in them. They're nice, so that brings me pleasure. Or, this is easy, it don't have to iron it, I'm wearing it. See, there are different angles of pleasure that we pursue. It's not always just the nice things. Sometimes it's just the easy things. Like, I like to eat a steak. And I eat it because of the pleasure it brings, the flavors. Oh, it's just so much fun. I love it. And I also like to eat frozen taquitos from Costco (laughs) because of the pleasure that brings. It's easy, no dishes, and it's quick. You dip it in some salsa and it's really good. See, we find joy and pleasure in the pursuits of all kinds of things. The shoes you're wearing, where you live, and it's all based off of some choice of pleasure. And joy and pleasure aren't wrong. They aren't bad, but they can go wrong. They can go bad. They can be wielded in such a way to bring pain. A hammer has a good purpose. But if you wield that hammer in the wrong way, pain comes. And I was thinking thinking about milk. We had some milk expire this week. Supposedly, it's like a week within the expiration date's okay. I'm not buying that. Yeah, amen. We had, some, we had some expired milk, and I thought, this is the joys and pleasures on earth. They're not bad, but if you push them to their limit, th- that's not what they're meant to be. You push that milk to its limit, so it's, you go past the expiration date, what it's meant to be, you're go- it's going to leave you with disappointment. The pleasures on this earth, they have a purpose. They are good when they're in the right frame, but you push them too far, pain's going to happen. Vapor, steam is what this word, havel, vanity, keeps talking about. And I was driving through Tomball this week, and I was going down Brown Road, and there's this big, old, blue, rusty dump truck, ones that you see everywhere. And it's just chugging along down the road, comes to a stop sign, and it lurches forward, and then stops. And it goes. when it goes again, the whole thing's rattling, and like it's about to explode. And then as it's going, just black smoke's coming at the top. And I'm looking at it while I'm, I'm behind it, smelling it and looking at it and going, this is, well, this is what Solomon's getting at when he says vanity. And it's just the steam, this exhaust fumes coming out. All that work, all that churning, all the energy, all those moving parts. And I'm studying it, like looking at it, going, look at it. Oh, it's gone. And he looks at all the pleasures in life and he goes, you know what? They're just like those exhaust fumes. I think we could add the word exhaust when we think of the word vanity or meaninglessness or havel, that it's just all the work, your Mondays, your your weekends, your putting together patio furniture, your housework, I mean, all your job, your paycheck, the chores, all of it's churning, 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 and it's gone. Steam, havel, it's all fleeting. So Solomon invites us to think about all these pleasures in life all the churning, all the toil. What is it? Look at verse 2. Look at where he, where he begins. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I mean, laughter? That's not the first thing I think he's going to think about and want us to investigate, but laughter. I mean, who doesn't love laughing, Solomon? I mean, I feel like Bud of the Elf on I know this. I'm like, laughing's my favorite. I mean, everyone loves laughing. What's your point, Solomon? No one dislikes laughter. Here's this thing. Think about laughter. It is just a super concentrated burst of joy. And then it's gone. You laugh, it's funny, you chuckle for a little bit, and then back to reality. And things become unfunny. How do things become unfunny? Like, how do you go from, man, that made me crack up, to, yeah, I've heard that before. Because it's steam, it's havel, it's fleeting, it loses its oomph. I remember when we went and saw Jim Gaffigan, he had no new material when we went and saw him. It was a bummer. You remember. It was horrible. It was not funny. We didn't laugh really at all. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is so unfunny. Because laughter, it's, once you've experienced it, it has a timetable. It, it expires. Laughter's not sustainable. Laughter really isn't the best medicine. It doesn't make things go away. It's a pause button. It's an escape from reality. It's just an escape pod. And you've got to come back down. I mean, think of the funniest people on the planet, comedians. They are often miserable people. You can hear comedians talk about other comedians who have died, and they all say they were tortured. Drugs, alcohol, women, and that they were depressed. Guys like Belushi, Farley. Chris Farley, one of the funniest just comedic guys ever. Tortured. Robin Williams tragic. People who could bring joy and laughter to millions of people, but could never find lasting joy for themselves. Because laughter is mad. It can't bring us, bring us what we really want. It's just an escape hatch. And then he moves on to verse 3 about wine. I searched with my heart, had to cheer. So the same, I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for cheer, for laughter, pleasure, to cheer my body with wine. And look at what he says here. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. So he says, I didn't go full frat boy, okay? I still maintained my thinking. I'm still taking notes down as I think about life, and I'm still investigating wine and thinking, you know what? This doesn't really do it either. This doesn't bring us lasting happiness, because you know what? The wine bottle empties. So he didn't have to go full frat boy to know hugging a toilet at 3 a.m. is pointless. He can look at that and go, yeah, that's meaningless. So, But people spend night after night in bars, go through six-pack after six-pack. And Solomon says, it's meaningless. It's gone. But why is he doing all this? He tells us why he's doing all this. Again, look at verse 3, that I might see what was good. I want to see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he says, I want to know, what is a good thing we can be doing? What is out there for us? What is meaningful under the sun? Laughter is not ultimately meaningful. Pleasure is not ultimately meaningful. Why does it bring ultimate meaning? What does it, Solomon? Well, he moves on to something else, verse 4, accomplishments. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. So now he's going to go through a list, a litany of accomplishments that he's done in life. So, I mean, we have trophies. We have our participation ribbons from shuttle run in elementary school. We've got all these kinds of things. We have LinkedIn profiles. We've got resumes and CVs, and we've got selfies on Instagram. If we stacked up all the things that we've done, some of us have done really neat things. Some of the, some of the guys in the church and jobs that they've done, things they've, there was one guy who was telling me how he worked on some nuclear fuel and at one of his jobs. I thought, that's amazing. I, I can't even fathom that. All I know about nuclear energy is from Homer Simpson. I mean, this is like all I know. You <laughs> may take up all of our accomplishments, add them all together, and then compare them to Solomon's. It's like putting a single dewdrop next to the ocean. It's just nothing compared to what this guy's done. What does he do? I built houses. Dream house after dream house. First Kings talks about how Solomon even built whole cities, made new colonies that he could enjoy. And he says, this is amazing, and planted vineyards for myself. So he went from, I, I was enjoying a bottle of cab to, I'm going to have a whole vineyard now. No one in here can do that. He went from enjoying a nice glass to, let's make Solomon's Vineyard now. I know some guys at church kind of make, make their own beer. It's really cool. He's got you beat. <laughs> He's got his own vineyard now. And what does he say about it all? Esteem. It's really meaningless. He really didn't give me everything I wanted. Multiple houses. Okay. We just got to be real with each other. Fixer Upper is a great show. And it shows your coveting idol just like that. <laughs> Having Joanna Gaines fix your house will not fix and satisfy your life. You can have her come out. I know everyone probably watches the show and think, oh, we could just have them come decorate our house. And I bet millions of people in unison, it, they harmonize with each other every Tuesday night. Psalm is saying, look, even if you have multiple houses, you had everything you ever wanted, it's not going to fix your life, it's not going to satisfy you. Solomon's going to go through this list of things to show us they're nice, but they're not fixes. They aren't sustainable. The key to lasting joy is not found in these things, so don't freak out when you don't have them because they won't fulfill you. You can get all the ship lab, you can have it all happen, and you'll sit back and go, you know what? That's going to go out of style. That'll change. Someone else will buy this house and go, oh, I hate that. Rip it down. <gasps> Jim Carrey, he put on Solomon's hat at the Golden Globes recently. He went up there to present an award. The teleprompter went out, and he kind of ad-libbed a little speech in front of all the other celebrities at Golden Globes. And they introduced him, Jim Carrey, two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And he comes out, and he goes, hello, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And the crowd laughs as he's just, you know, talking about his accomplishments. And he says, and you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey getting some well-needed shut-eye. And everyone's laughing like, ah, he's so funny. And he says, and when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And everyone's cracking up and going, he's so silly. And then he turns. He, He gets him. He says, because then, then I would be enough. It would finally be true. I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. Like, awkward. (laughs) People spend all their time, all their energy, and all these little trophies. And he says, these things don't matter. These won't fulfill us. And Solomon goes on. I made gardens. I had a salsa garden once. (laughs) That thing died in about a month. Parks, he made national parks for himself. Planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, exotic trees. And it goes on in verse 7, how he had all these servants and more and more servants, more than anybody before. How he made the first irrigation system to water all of these trees and these deep pools that still exist in Israel today. He had more possessions than anyone else before him. And then he says in verse 8, I got singers. I went and got all the best singers in the world. Hadn't performed for me. Concert after concert. Oh, who do we got performing tonight, Solomon? Uh I think U2's available. Let's get them. Well, yeah, tomorrow's Bruno Mars. Friday we got George Strait coming, so. yeah, Beatles will be fine. Whoever's around still. And what does he say? His conclusion? Eh, it all kind of stinks. It didn't do anything for me. It was all meaningless. And we have this today. We got devices we can pull out anytime, anywhere, play anyone, anything. And then he says, I have concubines. First Kings talks about how he had a thousand women available to him at any time. And he says, didn't do it. It didn't fulfill me. And our culture has things like this today. Apps that you can just pull up and they're just hookup apps. Try to find anybody. One night stands, over, done. Just digital concubines. It's all meaningless. First Kings talks about these parties that Solomon would throw. It goes through the ingredients list, the shopping list of all the things that Solomon had in these parties. It was enough food for 40,000 people. He's throwing parties for 40,000 people. He's throwing Super Bowl-level parties all the time, making Great Gatsby look like a neighborhood Tupperware party. And he says... It's all meaningless. It didn't, it didn't solve anything. It didn't fix anything. It's all steam. And think about the vapor nature of good coffee and wine and beer and soda and steak and cake. They're a moment. And then they all head to the sewage plant. Whether it's a nice cup of expensive coffee or a cheap cup of gas station coffee, they all head to the sewage plant. And I think about this, especially for some of us who struggle with gluttony and struggles with food, we take that one little bite for all the caloric damage it does, and it just heads to the sewage plant. That one moment, mm -mm, (laughs) all headed to the same place. Like what it says in verse 10, this is unbelievable to me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart, no pleasure. I can't even imagine that. Whatever he wanted, he got it. He said, no, nope, no limits here. He did not have an Amazon wish list. He wanted it, he got it instantly. He didn't have a Pinterest board. He wanted it, someone made it happen. I mean, think about something you want right now, something you want to buy. Solomon didn't have to go, I wonder if it's in the budget. I wonder if it's available. Hey, go get that for me now. Yes, yes sir. Yes, Solomon. Gone. Done. I'm like right now. Like what do you want to buy? I would love to buy a, a new record for my collection. I'd love a Coke Zero right now. There's this place in California, uh, Mastro's. Oh, they have the best dessert I've ever had in my life, a warm butter cake. Natalie and I probably talk about it once a month. It's the single best bite I've ever had in my life. I would love to have that right now. Solomon could go, hey, go go to California, go get me that cake now. Yes, sir. And they go get it. Done. Whatever he wanted. He had it. He did not keep himself from anything. And he's like that little kid at Christmas. Opens it. Next. Next. I mean, just whatever he wanted. Unending pleasures. And it did not make him happy. Long. Did not make him happy for long. It's like that bowl of queso. It's there, then it's gone. And it's gone. People are getting on the edge, getting all that cheese out. It's gone. And just like Jim Carrey again said, I wish everybody would get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can find out it's not the answer. Man, he's got a lot of wisdom when it comes to this stuff. Same guy who was pet detective. He's got a lot of wisdom (laughs) about accomplishments What does Solomon say? In verse 11, here's his conclusion. I considered all that my hands had done, all the accomplishments, all the vineyards, all the parks, all the singers, all the concubines, and everything I ever wanted, I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I expended, the effort, the sweat, the time, the energy, and in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, meaningless, vapor, steam, exhaust fumes and striving after the win. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. But some of us, we hear that and go, yeah, right. We don't believe him. That's why you played the Powerball, because you don't believe him. That's why people buy those little scratch-off tickets because you don't believe this, that it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. Some of us still think if we had that stuff, we'd be content. We hear celebrities like Jim Carrey say things like, oh, it's not the answer. We all think, oh, you ungrateful celebrity. What we must learn is that possessions won't fulfill us. Money won't fulfill us. The joy that comes from possessions and money won't quiet our hearts. And I know you've heard the phrase, you know, money can't buy happiness. Of course it can. That's what he said in verse 10. We skipped verse 10. Look at verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure. So he says, I found pleasure in all my toil, and that was my reward, but it was meaningless because it doesn't last. It's there, and then it's gone. So the phrase, money can't buy happiness, it can. I've had Tex-Mex. I know money can buy happiness, and so do you. But it doesn't last. I've been to Disney World, paid for that with money. That doesn't last. As one comedian said, people who think money can't buy happiness have obviously never seen anyone on a jet ski there are no people frowning on jet skis. There are no Eeyores on wave runners. But what happens when that wave runner breaks? What happens when you break on that wave runner? What happens when your time's up from the rental? It can only buy exhaust. Money can only buy exhaust fumes. Johnny Carson once said, all that money does is give you the freedom to not be poor. It doesn't do anything else. So, Let's say you got everything you ever wanted. That's where Solomon's going to go next. You got everything you ever wanted, all the accomplishments. The gains is coming to fix up your house. You, won the power, you played the power ball like a fool and you won. So what? It's not going to keep you from dying. That's where he goes next. We're all going to die. You've heard the phrase, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. You can actually see a man, happened this past year, man buried on with his motorcycle. Not just his motorcycle like next to him, him on it. They embalmed him on the motorcycle, put a back brace on him, put his hands on there, put him in a clear casket, and then put him in. Or a guy in Puerto Rico, a boxer. They embalmed his body, leaned him up against him a fake ring, put gloves on him, glasses, put a robe on him, and people could come take pictures with him at his wake. Another guy in Puerto Rico. I don't know what's going on in Puerto Rico. Another guy in Puerto Rico <laughs> loved to gamble, so they embalmed him, set him at a table, poker table, put cards in his hands, put glasses on him, and then his friends all came and took pictures with him. W- why? It's screaming that the vapor is real. These things don't last. Motorcycles, loved riding it, can't ride it forever. That fun doesn't last forever. Pleasures under the sun won't last forever. It'll break. You will break. It'll become boring. You'll get bored by it eventually. Even if you accomplish something great, someone else will accomplish something greater, and then you'll be forgotten. Like right now, Michael Jordan, amazing basketball player. A whole generation of people will be like, who cares? Steph Curry's better. And then another generation will come and go, who cares about Steph? This guy's better. His point, Solomon's point is this, you cannot and you will not find lasting joy in created things or your created accomplishments or in other created beings. We must look to something beyond the sun. This is the message the world needs to hear now, that your friends need to hear. All the people who are laboring under the sun, all the people who are chasing after the wind, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, they must not only hear it from you, but... Believe it from how you live, that you are living in such a way that, yeah, I'm not chasing the wind. I'm not down in the dumps if I don't get that new model of whatever. Does this insight flow from your life that earthly pleasures, they're fun, but they're just mere exhaust in the grand scheme of things. They're exhaust fumes from a broken world waiting to be made new. Solomon's next stop, that was stop one. Like man, I'm ready to get off of this car. He's got another stop. The pursuit of wisdom. He said, "Let's just think about if even being wise is worth it." That's what he says in verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom. He considered pleasure. Now he's considering wisdom and madness and folly. Is it worth it to be wise? What can a man do who comes after the king? Only what's already been done. Not a lot new can be done. And he does say in verses 13 and 14, "It is better to be wise. It creates less problems in your life." If you live wisely, you have less problems with the law, less, less problems with other people in your interpersonal relationships, less problems at work. So living wisely, says, yeah, it's, it's much easier. It's like walking through a room in the dark or walking through a room with the light on. It helps you navigate some of it. But what does he say? Look at verse 14, the last sentence. Yet I perceive the same event happens to all of them. We all die, verse 16 how the wise die just like the fool. So intelligence doesn't keep you from dying. Having a PhD doesn't keep you from getting stabbed in a parking lot. Wisdom can't keep you from getting cancer. We all die. So he says, yeah, it's good to be wise, but don't put all your eggs in that basket, that that's gonna give you meaning and value. Doctors and ice cream truck drivers are all going to be buried six feet under the ground. Being brilliant doesn't slow death. So even if you accomplish great things, your bank account is bigger than someone else, you have the job of your dreams, you've got all the shiplap you've ever wanted, Solomon would say, good for you. Now what? You've got to do it all again. You're going to die. In fact, you're going to die and you have to leave it to people who didn't even work for it. Look at verse 18. Verse 17, he says, so I hated life. Man, that's a hard phrase. Don't use the word hate, Solomon. I hated life. What does this mean? It means life on this planet was really frustrating to me. It's really frustrating to see that this is all how it happens. And we had to remember that we are living on a planet that is post-Eden. We aren't meant to die. Work wasn't meant to be hard. Work is not sinful. Work is not a result of the fall. Hard work is a result of the fall now, difficult work. So Solomon looks at it and goes, I hate this. I hate that we're going to die, and now I have to leave all these things that I've done to someone who didn't even work for it. Verse 18, I hated all my toil, which I must toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether or not he'll be wise or a fool. I don't even know if he'll be a good steward of it. I don't know if he'll take care of it. I mean, the greatest generation in the United States, what they call them, the greatest generation, the ones who lived and survived during the Great Depression and then fought in World War II, and those who stayed back in the United States, kept the country running during World War II, who did they leave the country to? Who did they pass it off to? The drug-infested 60s and 70s? And then who did they leave America to again? Another war and then another war? And then now, who's the country being passed on to the, this generation that invented the selfie stick? And think about it. Think about this inheritance thing. This is not the way. We're not meant to have inheritances because we weren't meant to die. So now that we die, now this inheritance system is this triage thing that we've come up with. We weren't meant to leave, leave things to people because we weren't meant to die. But now that sin has gone from Eden and has rippled all around the world. Its effects are everywhere. And now there are triage systems everywhere. Funeral homes should not exist. Inheritance systems, should, life insurance policies should not exist. But now we need them because of sin. What Solomon is doing is he's pinpointing all of the unnecessary necessities of life on this broken planet under the sun. And the exhaust fumes keep pouring out. Look at verse 23. All his days are full of sorrow at your job, and his work is a vexation. Even at night, his heart does not rest. He says, just think about your job, how much time you spend there. It's hard. Sorrow, pain, difficulty. You have bad days. You have bad weeks. You have bad years. So you can't say, oh, I find so much meaning in my job. You can't put all your weight on that. Even at night, you can't rest. When you clock out, maybe it will be better. He says, no. You fall asleep at night and it's all you think about. And you wake up in the morning. As soon as your eyelids fling open, it's the first thing that comes to mind. You toss and turn and accomplishes nothing. Your heart's not at rest. So that's Solomon's kind of last speech as he pulls into a rest stop. You're like, can we leave now? (laughs) Can we get off of this bus? So you walk up to Solomon. What are we doing, man? why are you going through all this? Okay, I get it. I feel like you're beating a dead horse. I, I know now. What's the point, Solomon? What do you want us to learn? What are you thinking? Stop being a Debbie Downer. What's the point of all of this? So, you want me to just sell my house and live in a cardboard box? You want me to just eat spam every meal? I mean, what do you want me to do? He's got an answer. Verse 24, there is nothing better in life under the sun For a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, this also I saw as from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So Solomon says, here's what you do. Enjoy life. Enjoy the eats. Enjoy the drinks. And find enjoyment in what you do. But keep it in check. He's answering the question he brought up in verse 3 when he says, I want to see what's good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. What's his answer? It's verse 24. Enjoy life. Enjoy what you eat and drink. Find enjoyment in your toil. This is from the hand of God. Solomon's point is this. Don't treat created things like they are the creator. Enjoy the gifts, but don't put more weight on them than they can hold. And you got to believe this. Gifts in themselves cannot give you more than what they are. Gifts in themselves cannot give you more than what they are. They're just gifts. But with God, with God at the center, because this is what he's saying. This is from the hand of God, apart from him. So apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? He says, now with God at the center, there is a long-lasting, sustainable joy that isn't fog, that isn't vapor, that isn't exhaust fumes, but now it's concrete, it's eternal, it's long-lasting, it's sustainable, it's eternal. Now with God at the center, you can enjoy a good cup of coffee and understand this is not just steam. Now, with God at the center, you can enjoy a game of basketball. You can enjoy romance. Now, with God at the center, you have a new paradigm for how everything is meant to be seen, that every good and perfect gift does come down from the Father of lights. Now, we don't worship these things. We worship Him. We don't worship these created things, but the Creator. Because verse 26, with God, what does He give? To the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. God gives it. With God, there is wisdom and knowledge and joy. So God doesn't kill our joys in this world. He puts them in the right order. He gives joy. God does not kill our joys in this world. He puts them in the right order. We can enjoy your new granite countertops. And we got new ones this past year. So think about this book, oh, should I like be like, oh, those are terrible, who cares? No. You, put the, you enjoy them for what they are, nothing more. I like looking at them. It's cool. Nice. Thank you, Lord. These are neat. You made these. That's it. See, all the other religions of the world, they take all these things, and then they, they bow down to the sun. They bow down to a tree. People bow down to sports. People bow down to their bodies and other people's bodies. Ecclesiastes is showing us: No, we don't. We don't bow down to these things. We bow down to Him. With God, there is wisdom and knowledge and joy. So, without God, we would keep trying to drink that expired milk of this world. But with Him, we see that He gives us living water. His, he gives. We're dialed into life under the sun, where mercies His mercies are new every morning. And don't miss the key from verse 26. I I would underline just these three words in in your Bible. For the one who pleases him, God has given. God has given. What have we been reading about the whole time in chapter 2? Solomon's doing. Solomon says, I built this. I did this. I bought this. I pursued this. I sought this. I accomplished this. But now he says, what we need is what God has given. What we need most under the sun is not what we can do, but what God has given, and only what God can do. As I said earlier, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So what has he given? What has he done? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting Life will not be vanity, vanity, will not be meaninglessness, meaningless, but will find everlasting life. Life is not meaningless with Jesus. Life is not exhaust fumes with Jesus. Life is not exhaust with the exalted and resurrected King of the universe. Because now the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins, for our pursuit of wine in the wrong way, for our pursuit of accomplishments, our pursuit of other people's bodies, our pursuit of our own bodies. It goes on and on and on. All of these things, Jesus encountered people in the Gospels who chased all of these things. And he didn't come to scoff at them. He came to save them. He came to show them, "I, I live the way you're supposed to under the sun, and I offer it to you. You can't do it but I'm offering it to you in my life, in my life, and my death, in my resurrection. So he dies for our sinful and skewed pursuit of pleasure under the earth, for work and money and accomplishments and sex and, and drink. And he dies for them all, dies for all of our meaninglessness, and gives us all of his meaningfulness. And this phrase is huge right here. To the, Verse 26 again, to the one who pleases him. So to the one who pleases God, God gives these things. So is the answer, okay, church, go and please God now. Honestly, we should all be thinking, how do I do that? I I can't please God. I've already sinned. I can't dust it up. How are we going to please God? Only by Jesus. Jesus. Only by the one who has pleased God. Because Christ is the only sinless one. Jesus is the only one who has never fallen short of the glory of God. He is the one who lived every moment on this earth under the sun according to the ways of God. This is why at the Father, when the, at Jesus' baptism, the Father always oh, in the sky. And what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We can't please God. Jesus has for us. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the father continues and says, listen to him. So what do we need to hear from Jesus? Come to me. All who labor, all who toil, all who are heavy laden, all who are exhausted from life under the sun, riddled by sin, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will liberate you from the havel of this world. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We can't please God, but we can go to the one who has for us. This is what it means to be a Christian. Not to just invite Jesus into our lives, but to be invited into his life. It's the one who did please God and the one who did live meaningfully. When we believe in Jesus, it's as though now we are the ones who have pleased God. Now, God the Father looks at Jeff Metters and Chad Rippey and Tracy Sandoz, and he looks at those of us who are in Christ and says, You have pleased me, not because of what you've done, but because of what my Son has done for you. And even if you feel like, I've blown it, it's too late for me. I'm on the back nine of my life. It's, I've messed it up too much. I've chased the wrong things. Are you thinking right now? I am wasting it. I am chasing after the wind. The answer isn't now, man, I better straighten up. I, I better get my life in order. That's second. Do that second. First is you look to the one who didn't blow it, you look to the one whose life isn't a vapor. You look to the one who came for the ones who did blow it. You look for the one who lived the godly life under the sun, the one who came to save sinners. So do you trust Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus for your life under the sun? His life isn't a vapor because he is alive today, seated in the heavenly places as a savior for people like us. He came to save us from meaninglessness under the sun and into eternal life with Him, and then He puts wine, and He puts laughter, and pleasure, and work, and accomplishments, and possessions, He puts them all in their proper place. This is what it means for Him to be Lord of all. He cleans our lives up, and He goes, okay, let's let's start putting these things in the right order. Jesus drank wine, He had it in its right place. I'm sure Jesus laughed, I bet Peter was hilarious, it's in the right place. He ate all in the right place. He has accomplishments. He has possessions. The universe is his, and it's all in the right place. By him, we can enjoy life like he does. We can enjoy life like he does. We can enjoy life in Jesus and with Jesus and for Jesus and because of Jesus, because that is the beloved son with whom he is well-pleased. It's his gifts, it's his world and his grace. This life doesn't have to just be exhaust fumes. It can be to the praise of his glorious grace. Do you trust him? Do you trust in Jesus? Are you still chasing after the wind? There is nothing better than you should eat and drink and find enjoyment in this earth, in this toil. This is from the hand of God because we know what lies beyond the sun. We know what awaits us, a heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. This is from the hand of God. There is more than we see, more to behold, more to enjoy, all in Christ alone. I hope you'll look to him. Let's pray together.